more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m. and on a Sunday that can mean only one thing. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Lori Lutz. And I'm Chelsea Beheimer. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you are a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all of the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight, we are joined by Brian Lynn. Welcome, Brian. Hi, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Brian is from the uh, Department of Integrative Biology and works with Dr. Patrick Deline here. Brian is a second-year PhD student, and he studies the evolution of cooperation using a uh, bacterial model system. So, Brian, can you start by just unpacking that um, a little bit more for us and kind of giving us a big-picture idea of what you do? Yeah, so to study the evolution of cooperation uh, investigates this tension that occurs between the individual self-interest and the broader population. And so what that means is that if we think of evolution as occurring with the Darwinian model of survival of the fittest, then cooperating, which has a cost to it built in, shouldn't exist, but we see it from in all species from microbes to higher organisms like ourselves. And so we look to answer the question of how has cooperation sustained across all these systems and what mechanisms are keeping it around. So um, when you're you're doing your work, you're working with the microorganism, but this can be applied to much, um, a much broader, a much bigger um, application. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the concepts of cooperation, right? So they occur both in the bacteria that I use where they share a digestive enzyme, um, but also with humans, we also do a lot of cooperating such as in sustainable resource management, such as like overfishing or even just with the idea of paying taxes is a cooperative structure that we have in our society. So can you um, explain that a little? So how would taxes um, represent kind of this a similar cooperation that you're studying with the bacteria? Sure. So with paying taxes, the idea is that if everyone pays in their share, we get to keep roads and um, like education systems and anything that our taxes go to that we like. So there's a cost to the individual of paying the taxes, um, but in that we get 
to enjoy some products of it. Now, there are certainly folks who don't pay their taxes, right? But they still get to drive on the roads and have their kids go to school. And so they are, if we were looking at them, their fitness would be higher because they're not paying the cost, but they're still reaping the benefits of the tax paying system. Right, so it's kind of um, in this community look, right? Where some people are contributing to that, um, but there can be maybe some cheaters, yeah. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yeah, so in this like uh, corporate evolution, we do call them social cheaters or cooperators. Um, and the idea is that if no one paid their taxes and all the infrastructure would sort of go away, right? So there's some point where we can have some percentage of folks not paying their taxes and everything is fine. But there is sort of this tipping point where if too many people aren't paying their taxes, then we stop having the infrastructure as we know it. So kind of what you're looking at with your model system using the bacteria is sort of quantifying that and trying to find out where that tipping point is. Like how many people cannot pay their taxes and it still would be um, sustainable and still, you know, the, the roads and the schools and everything would still be available, even though some people aren't contributing to that. Yeah, exactly. So we're, so we're looking at mechanisms that um, sustain cooperation and keep us from having this sort of collapse of our public good. Uh, and so that's sort of considered what we call the tragedy of the commons, so to speak. So we're trying to avoid the collapse and see how much and what's, what mechanisms we have that will keep cooperators around, such as policing or ostracism, and then um, also sort of at what point we can see these changes occur uh, where tragedy of the commons occurs. Can you explain, just expand on tragedy of the commons a little bit more for us, um, for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, so the classic um, sort of scenario given by Hardin initially of tragedy of the commons is to imagine a pasture full of cows with farmers that each have cows on the pasture. And so if each farmer adds another cow and they're incentivized to do so because the more cows they have individually, the more beef they have or milk or whatever good they get. But if every farmer continues to add cows, at some point the pasture, which is feeding the cows, will run out. So there's a finite space to this pasture. And when that happens, the cows cannot eat and they will die, right? So the idea is that there's a finite resource um, and if just one farmer were to add a couple extra cows, that would be fine. But when you have enough people who share this resource taking advantage and taking more than, say, what would be considered the cooperative share, um, then you end up completely depleting it. So I'm now, I, that really helps me wrap my head around, you know, a common resource shared by animals and, and communities that we relate to better like humans, right? But I know bacteria don't pay taxes. And <laughs> so I'm curious, what, what is the common resource that the bacteria that you look at are, are sharing? What, what are they communally um, working towards? Yeah, so the bacteria I use, Pseudonomus uh, ruginosa, creates an extracellular enzyme. So that just means they sort of excrete this enzyme that is required for metabolism. So without it, they essentially can't eat. So I sort of think of it as being the knife that sort of cuts up your food, right? So if you just had a bunch of cows and I said, have dinner, you might have a hard time. But if someone gives you a bunch of steaks, you can now eat it. <laughs> um, and so this is what the enzyme sort of does. And our cooperators are producing this enzyme uh, and the cheaters are not. And so if enough of the bacteria don't 
produce the enzyme, then they can't eat and the whole population collapses. So the tragedy causes the entire population to go extinct. How do you know some of them are cheating? Yeah, so the neat thing with bacteria is they have simpler genomes and I, they can be edited or, um, and so it's a common mutation and so we have multiple strains. And so one uh, has what is called a LAS-R mutation. And so LAS-R is the gene that receives a signal uh, from other cells in the quorum sensing process that tells them to produce the enzyme. So with that mutation, they won't produce it. Got it. So quorum sensing, mm -hmm. my understanding is that that's the way bacteria kind of talk to each other. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a density dependence, and so it's done through sort of uh, it's done through signals, uh, cell signals that are also extracellular. So once enough of them come around, they start sensing enough of the signal, uh, receive it, and then they'll produce certain things. So in in my uh, bacteria, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, it's this enzyme, and there's other products too that might be produced, but we're mostly focused on the uh, protease enzyme. So you're manipulating uh, these scenarios in, in a lab. Yeah. But that is also essentially allowing you to kind of, um, you're, you're saying it's a model organism, right? So you're trying to predict situations. I, I know you're, you're sort of a math person. How does that all fit together? Yeah, so I use a chemostat model. And a chemostat is a vessel that allows you to do what's called continuous culturing. So many folks may be familiar with batch culturing where you put something in a little test tube. Um, this is a device that has, it's basically a very large test tube with an inflow and an outflow. And so there's an inflow of constant nutrient that they use to grow and an outflow of the mixed solution. And this allows us to grow them uh, continuously for like several days. Um, and because what we have is a well-mixed solution that's constantly being stirred and it stays at constant volume, we can model that mathematically using differential equations. Um, and just to note here, we do have a photo of uh, Brian, Brian's chemostat system um, up on the blog. So you can see a photo of that um, if you check out the blog on uh, blogs.orgensate.inspiration. Do we have any differential equations in that, too? Um, um, <laughs> we do. Not yeah. as fun to look at. Yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. you're Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what you're doing is kind of theoretical, and like using this model system and then you're actually applying what you're learning from that using, and then you're applying a lot of mathematical models to that, right? So what are some of the questions you're asking with that? Yeah, so with the math modeling, so recently we looked at using uh, cyanide production as a policing mechanism. So these particular bacteria I work with also produces cyanide and we thought that if the cheaters were susceptible or we can buy that cyanide, that production might be used to sort of keep them at bay as a method for keeping this tragedy to occur. So the first thing I did was model it mathematically to see if there was a way for all three of these species to coexist, um, and like what conditions that might be, and if not all three of them, um, what happens. We actually found, theoretically speaking, that having this policing uh, organism could keep uh, cheaters out, um, but not coexist with them. So we're really trying to find hmm. a mechanism that allows for all three to live together. 
Um, so the cheaters, the non-cheaters, and then the cyanide police, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. cheaters, no idea. Bacteria, so complicated. <laughs> but the so the police works, but only in the short term. So you need something that's more sustainable long term. Yeah, so it'll keep the population from collapsing, which is great. But we're really, or I'm really interested in trying to find a way that cheaters can exist, but at a low scale, because that's more applicable to real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. So we've done this, uh, we've done some proofs that I'm probably the only one that thinks are interesting to look at, but now, what I'm doing in the lab is I'm sort of directly taking what I look at theoretically and then simulating it. And so it's saying like, okay, we have this theory. And so like, does it work? Right. And so I think a lot of times theoretical biology lives only in theory and empirical biology lives only in in experiments, and there's not a lot of folks who are combining like very directly both, and so mm-hmm. I'm getting like a, a sort of side by side pair of this is what happened in theory, and like this is what happens in real life, and so. So I know you're still very early on in your research, yes. but how are those comparing? Do you have any um, idea of if, if those are matching up the theoretical and the empirical models? Yeah, so. So far, um, one of the first papers on this system involved just showing that the cooperators can sustain a population in a chemostat, and I have been able to replicate that, so mm-hmm. that's nice. Um, we did, while well, my policing model worked in theory, it seems as though the strain of bacteria, the sort of quote-unquote cheaters that we have, um, are resistant to cyanide, so I have to sort of play God a little bit and mm. mutate them to be sensitive to cyanide to test my model. Mm. So that'll be a future um, project. <laughs> Sounds kind of fun. So I know that you're really interested in applying math um, to like real world application. So where do you see um, your research? Uh, like where do you see that application? Yeah. So there could be some research. Um, applications in because I'm working specifically with uh, microbes the most direct application is going to be in um, it's going to be with um, uh, resistant to antibiotics so and Mm. disease diseases that are developing resistance so however these sort of broad scale themes that we have of cooperators and cheaters and these mechanisms that sustain them can, I think, be applicable to larger scale. Um, And I think it'd be neat if I can, with the goal of finding systems where we can get a cooperator and cheater coexistence with some mechanism, um, being able to expand that out to other systems and seeing if it applies to more complex organisms. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the whole antibiotic resistance thing alone is very relevant, and um, that I'm I'm excited to see where that goes because I know that that's you know definitely something that um, of concern. I right. think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But the bigger picture thing I, is so fascinating about what you do is you're essentially studying this you know. Ev- the theory of evolution that we sometimes, I think we talked about this when we first met you, we take for granted and you're kind of looking at um, some of the nuances of, of 
the theory of evolution. And I think you mentioned a class that you took that sort of uh, sparked your interest in in this research with game theory or something. I didn't even know that that existed. Can you tell us a little <laughs> yeah. bit about that? Yeah, so I sort of randomly as an undergrad uh, took an elective called Game Theory and Evolution. It was just to fulfill like an upper level course mm-hmm. um, for, for my degree. And I just fell in love with it. Like immediately we're reading papers on how phage viruses, you know, behave according to like these math models. And I just thought like something that you think doesn't have a brain, it has a strategy attached to it. And like, mm-hmm. I just was immediately enamored and I, I really couldn't get enough of it. You've been doing it ever since. Yeah, so, <laughs> I haven't stopped. <laughs> so since we're kind of diving into your history here, um, I want to kind of start with your non-traditional path to um, to your even your undergrad to college and then to graduate school. So um, because you didn't go right from high school to college. Yeah, uh, I wanted to take some time off from college, and my mom suggested that I. She really wanted me to go because of health insurance reasons. So this was mm. before uh, Obama mm-hmm. had. Mm-hmm extended the age of healthcare under your parents. And so uh, I went to culinary school as like, a, okay, I guess I'll go to a college. Um, and I went to Le Cordon Bleu in Minneapolis area and worked as a cake decorator, pastry chef, donut fryer for several years. So we know who to contact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So you did that. And then yeah. one day you decided to do something different. Yeah, so it had been on my mind for a little while that it wasn't sustainable as a long-term career. So um, even the like really fancy head pastry chef positions were making maybe like fifty thousand dollars a year, which is certainly a great like amount of money. But um, that sort of was like after decades of working your way up the system, that was sort of the end goal. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want something with more opportunity. I want something with health insurance and like benefits. I want paid time off. You know, maybe I want to be able to take like a sick day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Sounds reasonable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Very I was like, well, I remember liking math in high school or at least being good at it. So I, I signed up for um, at the community college to start taking math classes. And I had the intention of switching to some other STEM major once I found what I liked, but I just kept liking math and <laughs> Never switched out. <laughs> so, so you were taking college at the, or classes at the community college, but then you ended up in Boston. Yeah, actually, my uh, Python teacher suggested that if I was getting a degree in STEM, Boston was like the place to be. So, there's lots of opportunities out there, um, and I had always been kind of looking for a reason to not live in Minnesota for my entire life and never go anywhere else. So I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few years of finishing my undergrad was a good enough reason to go somewhere and try a new city. So I went out and I applied to the University of Massachusetts, Boston, got in there, and I was there for three years finishing my undergrad. And you did find some good STEM opportunities, right? It was kind of opened the door there. Yeah, yeah. So I had an internship with uh, ProTom International. So there I was doing some programming work with they were developing a proton laser to t- treat cancerous tumors in the MIT Bates Radiation Facility. And then I also did got a fellowship a few different times to do some research with the same professor that taught this uh, Game Theory and Evolution course mm. uh, on the evolution of cooperation through ostracism, looking at dynamically forming groups. Wow. I didn't know they 
bacteria were ostracizing themselves and they're just so complicated. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my model with um, Tim Klein back at UMass was sort of non-organism centered. So it was theory just based on group dynamics. Um, and it, I didn't get into the bacteria until I arrived in Oregon. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> what was the model system you were using to study ostracism? Uh, or was UMass? it theoretical? It was all. It, it was, was all theoretical. Theory, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but now you're combining both theory and got it. Yeah. So, yeah. One of the things that bothered me in my undergrad was like taking real analysis. We would do things like find out one infinity was larger than another, and I just thought, what is the point? Like, <laughs> I don't see how this applies to the real world. That like this isn't like maybe it's a little interesting, but like what am I spending my time doing here? And I really just wanted to do something that felt like it had a point to it. And that's sort of where I really fell in love with like math biology because mm-hmm. you can attach it very directly to systems in like the world around you or like very directly to the lab two buildings down. <laughs> so how did you end up at Oregon State? So I very specifically wanted to work with Patrick Deline here. I had found one of his papers just in my research of studying um, like cooperative evolution. And so I applied just just from having read his papers. And the so, rest is history. So on our show, um, we have two traditions. And the first one is for you to give us a bit of advice. So um, tell us what your advice is and who it's for. Yeah, maybe I was sort of thinking of advice for my younger self with the hope that it would be applicable to someone else out in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the advice I want to give is to not wait for an invitation into a space. So mm-hmm. as like a queer trans person, there's not a lot of folks that look like me in um, STEM, right? And so I know a lot of people in their undergrad sort of feel disenfranchised from joining STEM or being a part of these majors because there isn't like that space. And I think sometimes the way to like see change, see that change happen is to be the one making it and just pushing your way through the door. Um, But even on like a smaller scale, like the coolest thing I did was this fellowship with my undergrad professor, Tim Killingback, and we used to work on it together, working on a publication. And when I got that, all I did was go to his office and ask if he would like work on a project with me. I didn't which is very out of my character. I don't like mm-hmm. to bother people, but um, <laughs> I, I it was very um, one of the only times I've done that, and it was like one of the coolest experiences of my life. So I, I recommend just going for the thing. Yeah, yeah. being bold, yeah. and sometimes you just have to put yourself out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's great yeah. advice, and I think that also ties into something you talked about wanting to carry on. So you're almost taking your own advice, and from what I understand in your you know, academic future, you would like to continue to be that change and support other people, you know, going through challenging academic journeys. So I think that's really incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my goal is to be a a professor, not because I want to spend all of my life in a school, but because I really want (laughs) to offer that space to folks, um, because it doesn't exist in a lot of places. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah. And so our second tradition um, is that you share a song with us that you would like us to share with our listeners out there um, and also tell us why you chose that song. So what's your song for us? 
So I chose uh, Divisionary, Do the Right Thing in parentheses uh, by Ages and Ages. And I chose that one because, I mean, the lyrics sort of play into this idea of cooperation and sort of doing what's best in the world. Um, but I also think it speaks a little bit to the current economic, political climate a little bit and just trying to be a good, good human. Um, and also it's one of my favorite songs. So. <laughs> Sounds so all yeah, great. The yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for being on the show. It was so fun talking to you and learning more about what you do and learning more about you. Yeah. And breaking down your incredibly complicated, amazing research into a way that we can digest. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. So here we have a divisionary by Ages Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamat. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration. Thanks again for listening, and stay curious, my friends.